excuse me. She got her first helicopter flight, uh, just being a couple hours old. Mike had to follow in a car, so he did not get to fly in the helicopter. I'm sure he was a little bummed about that. Um, but so she's up, she's up at Children's. Then after they evaluated, evaluated her, they decided she does need to leave the medicine. Um, and they just kept her on oxygen and monitoring for a while. Um, they put this little tiny CPAP machine on her nose, which was funny. If you guys saw some of those pictures. Then they eventually took her off all the oxygen, and uh, they just concluded some tests. Last thing, says yesterday, so says she's doing very well. Uh, she's had three feedings with blood sugars today. Uh, he overheard that they were going to take and do two tests during nighttime, and then he said she has to pass an RC test today. Uh, she has to stay in it for two hours, and they're going to check her vitals to make sure nothing changes. say, prepare. 
three parables. The parable of the lost sheep, lost coin, lost son. They all have a common theme that is unique. And that is that God gives grace to all sinners who repent. And that there is more rejoicing, more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner that repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not repent. And we'll see this theme play out in Chapter 15 has a supplementary uh, chapter, which is chapter 14. And it also has two companion chapters, Luke chapter 7 and uh, chapter John chapter 4. So chapter 14, which Mike taught on last week, uh, gave us some instructions, some warnings, some different circumstances. So uh, look in there uh, on the slide. The first six verses have to do with Sabbath healing, which is our obedience to next two chapters, which is Luke 7 and and John 8, Jesus gives examples of forgiveness of sinners uh, who repent just like one of the uh, three parables. So Luke 7, 36 through 50, uh, this tells of the simple simple woman, so I'm going to read those those verses. It says 36. Then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat uh, with him. He went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. Behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she, uh, she knew that Jesus sat at the table at the Pharisee's house,
saying he loves her. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who sat at the table with her began to say to themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And then in John chapter 8, verse 1 through 12, this one uh, talks about the events. Verse 1 says, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Now early in the morning, he came again into the temple. All the people came to him and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? This they said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. And this is the part I love. There, usually when somebody um, accuses you of something or calls you out of something or something like that, usually typically people just immediately go to defending themselves. They say, no, 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 that's not mine, that's what I did. You know, and they, and they try to fix it up. Um, but I love what, what Jesus does here. They're saying this to him, and, and he just, they're, she's they're defending her. And he just kind of steps over here, and he bends down to the ground, takes his finger, and he rubs his butt cheek on the foot of the woman. And so he just writes to the ground. We don't know what he's writing. And he stands up. continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, okay, he who, is out, he who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her. And this is probably the first time in the Bible where he gets praise from them. Because um, they don't say a thing. says, then those who heard it, being convicted of their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest even to the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have light So where do we start? Here's a quick rundown uh, of, what of what the parable is teaching. The starting point is that we give ourselves unreservedly to Jesus, and there can be no dividing line. Matthew 6.24 and Luke 16.13 uh, are the exact same verses. Two different places in the with righteous judgment from the heart. 
parables also have an emotional impact that make it more meaningful and memorable to those for those who haven't saw them yet. Uh, and at the same time, the, the parables of Jesus uh, oftentimes remained a mystery uh, to those who had hard hearts because parables require uh, listeners to be self-critical and to put themselves in the appropriate place in the story. situation with Jesus is speaking is in the first two verses of chapter 4. It says this, Then all the tax collectors and sinners drew near to him to hear him. What I took from this uh, is that when Jesus speaks, people listen. Everyone listens. Some of them have different reasons for listening. Uh, the uh, sinners and tax collectors are listening because they want to hear truth. Pharisees are listening because they want to try and catch Jesus saying something that's against the law, so they can in a way get him, get him in trouble with them, with the people that they they accuse him of being with. Verse two goes on to say, and the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, "This man has received sinners and eats with them." But notice the Pharisees did not complain that Jesus is teaching sinners, since the Pharisees thought themselves righteous teachers of the law, and all others to be wicked. They could not condemn his preaching to sinners, but they thought it was inconsistent with the dignity of someone so knowledgeable of the scriptures to eat with them. So the Pharisees and scribes, they did teaching all the time. They did teaching to sinners and to tax collectors. And so they thought that uh, they, they, they didn't have a problem with that. The problem they had was Jesus sharing the table. Because by eating with them, you are saying that you are of the same religious and societal stature. Uh, so I can picture the Pharisees and scribes standing around, and they're not necessarily talking to Jesus, but they are talking loud enough uh, for him to hear them. And uh, one thing to note is that Jesus' disciples were there with him also. I don't know if you guys are familiar with uh, the, the series The Chosen. said this man receives sinners and eats with them. I can just uh, picture Andrew popping up and saying something like, you know, looking at the Pharisees and after they say that, Comes home, 
called together his friends and family, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my lost sheep. Uh, I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repented than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. Remember, this is a word picture. Um, so, uh, lost sheep references shepherd, Jesus. Um, so besides his disciples, who's left in the audience? Pharisees and scribes. Remember last week? Okay. So obviously the Pharisees and the scribes did not, in no way, no how, did they think that they were a part of the one lost sheep. Because remember, they are, they think of themselves, I am sent Jesus is saying, okay, 
And he said to him, your brother has come because he has received him safe and sound, for God has healed him that day. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. And he answered and said to his father, lo, these many years I have been serving you, and I never transgressed your commandment or your law. And yet you gave me a
we all possess this uh, foolishness and ambition to do good things, which is the fruit of the sin of persisting in it. Genesis 3, 6 uh, talks about this in Isaac, sinful state is a departure and distance from God. It separates. Romans one twenty one says, because although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God. Nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were troubled. A sinful state is also a state of constant discontent. Romans 12.15 And He said to them, take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of this son learned the hard way that covetousness leads to a life of dissatisfaction and discontent. He also learned that the most valuable things in life are not In verse 13, we read that uh, he traveled to a distant country. Uh, it's evident from his uh, previous actions that he had already, even though he was physically there, he had already left his home. son's actual uh, physical departure that it would display of his willful disobedience of all the goodness uh, his father had offered him. Uh, in the process, he squandered his wealth. All his father worked very hard for on the prodigal living. But what's, what's prodigal in English? Uh, so uh, uh, Mike's going to look it up on the Google. Uh, so you look prodigal up on the Google, see what it says. This It defines prodigal as carelessly or foolishly spending time really important to note uh, that in this story, for the son, this type of living, it wasn't an accident. It was an intentional choice. The sheep accidentally get lost in the tunnel. The coin, obviously, accidentally gets lost. The son did not accidentally get lost in the tunnel. He chose to be chosen. Jesus loves all of them. 
Jesus and all of heaven rejoice with them. All right, so the son's financial disaster came out of, uh, is followed by a natural disaster uh, in the form of a famine. And he did not plan for that. So he's been spending money, trying to do whatever, and runs out of money, and oh, here comes a famine. Now what? Uh, so at this point, he sells himself into physical slavery to a Gentile himself feeding pigs to a Jewish person that is the about the most successful job in the world. So here, here I'm going to insert my my best Mike Beatty uh, dad joke or Broner joke, whatever you want to call it. So the son went from living high on the hog to living low with the hog. And I'm sorry, that's what I did. I just didn't want to have to look at my notes. Uh, needless to say, must have been incredibly desperate uh, at that point to willingly uh, enter such a hopeless situation. And what an irony that his choices led him to a position where he had absolutely no choice but to work. He had to work. He was out of money. Um, and he had to work for a stranger, somebody he didn't know. Uh, and he had to do things that he wouldn't even do for his father. Uh, and to top it off, he was apparently paid so little uh, that he longed to eat the pig's feet, which was trash, trash. Just when he thought life couldn't get any worse, usually when you're destitute and you need help, you go to people and ask them for help. Because uh, that's what they do. They're here to help you. And uh, it, the text clearly says in verse 16, he's looking for help. And it said, no one made him So even these unclean animals seem to be better off than he was at this point. This is a picture of the state of the lost uh, sinner or a rebellious believer who has returned to the life uh, of slavery to sin. It's a picture of what sin really does in a person's life when he rejects God's authority. Sin always promises more than it gives, takes you further than you wanted to go, leaves you worse off than you were. promises freedom, but it brings slavery. John 8, 34, but Jesus answered them, most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. So the son begins to reflect on his condition in verse 17. He realizes his father's servants have it better than he does. His painful circumstances help him to realize uh, and to see his father in a new light whose son can bring him hope. takes pleasure in those who fear him and those who hope in his mercy. Isaiah 40, 30, and 31, even though the youth, even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall, but those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. Just like the father waited for his son. He didn't say how long he waited. He said he waited. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. This is the of a sinner when he or she discovers the destitute condition of life because of their sin. This realization that apart from God, there is no hope. 2 Timothy 2.26 And that they may come to see their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. In verses 18-19 uh, we see finally that the repentant sinner, he comes to his senses realizes what's going on, what's so sinful, and then he just longs to return uh, to fellowship with his heavenly Lord. Alright, so the son devises a plan of action. Though at a quick glance it may seem he may not be truly repentant, uh, just motivated by his circumstances, being hungry, uh, destitute, looking for pigs, things like that. But he is willing
true repentance, not based on what he said, but based on what he was willing to do and what he actually touched upon. In verse 21, he realizes he had no right to claim blessing upon these particular people, so he's not allowed to. Nor does he bring anything with him. He's got nothing because he's really only brought some pigs. Just perhaps good businessman, uh, feeds the pigs, uh, but he, he brings nothing home. He has nothing to offer um, except this life of servants. He can be a servant to them. Um, and then we can bring back repentance for his previous actions. But with that, he is prepared to fall at his father's feet and just hope for forgiveness and mercy. And Jesus would say the father is waiting for his son, perhaps daily searching the distant road, just hoping to get, catch a glimpse of him. And the father notices he's gone a different way, uh, a long way off. And the father's son tries to ask for uh, forgiveness to his dad. He starts talking, tries to ask for forgiveness. And what happens immediately? Immediately what happens? The father ignores him. Immediately. He doesn't listen to his explanation. He doesn't listen to see, well, is he justified? No. The son asks for forgiveness and what's the first thing the father does? That is just like our
Jesus said to those who say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar. His word is not in us. Romans 6, 6 through 18 says, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. The death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans uh, chapter 12 is our family chapter this morning. The first verse is also the beginning of verse 7. Chapter 12, verse 7 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. So the father comes back. He doesn't question question the lecturer anymore. Instead, he unconditionally forgives him and accepts him back into fellowship. celebration is a picture of how our Heavenly Father looks at the celebration of His Son. We talked about the first two, two parables and now the last one Sunday. God greatly loves us. He patiently waits for us to repent so He can show us His great mercy because He does not want anyone, anyone to perish. He says in 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slack concerning His some count silence, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. So now the final and tragic character uh, in the parable of the the prodigal son. This is the oldest son, who once again, the oldest son illustrates the uh, Pharisees and scribes and the teachers of the law by saying that um, they live, outwardly they live blameless lives, but inwardly says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you cleanse the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside they are full of extortion and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisees, first cleanse the inside of the cup and the dish, and the dish and the outside shall be made clean. And this was true of the older son. He worked hard. He obeyed his father. He brought no disgrace to the family or the, or the town. And it's obvious by his words and his brother's return, that he's not showing love for his father or his brother. Um, he is concerned about himself and what he did. I'm good. I didn't do bad. I stayed here. I did whatever you asked me. That's what his focus was, the outside, the things that he did. So what, what was his heart? His heart was wrong. He was wrong. He wasn't happy. He was broken. He was mad because, hey, I did right. You did wrong. You're supposed to celebrate. This is the father's response. He says, he had to celebrate. He had to celebrate. There's a sense of urgency in that. I think what that's saying is, uh, what it's referring to is the urgency when Christ uh, forgives us. When we ask for forgiveness, when we ask for repentance, how long do we have to wait before we get that? consumed with justice. I did right, you said no. Your, and actually, he refers to his brother as uh, not his brother, but as his father's son, his fourth son. My brother
Jesus is his oldest son. Charles' oldest son. Obviously, Jesus knew that. Um, but he says this. He says, put this